Live from the bridge at the Launchpad Studios in Huntington, New York, it's Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Cardboard Memories, Clearview, Long Island, the law firm of Decalator, Cohen, and DePrisco, the Phoenix Tube Company, Pims Incorporated, fueling brand performance for 30 years, Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, and Soho Table Hockey. Here are your hosts, Mark and AJ. Joining us now is a man who has earned varsity letters in basketball, football, baseball at Wayland High School in Wayland, Michigan. After one year at Western Michigan University, he signed with the Detroit Tigers in 1956. 63 seasons later, he was still wearing a big league uniform as he served as the Mets pitching coach for part of the 2019 season. It is a pleasure to welcome New York Mets fantasy camp favorite, the man, Dodger legend and former teammate Sandy Koufax, nicknamed the Vulture due to his knack of earning saves in late inning relief situations, the one and only Phil Regan to Sports Talk New York. Welcome, coach. How you doing? Hey, thank you very much. I, I'm I'm glad you mentioned Wayland, Michigan, but I don't think many people are going to know where Wayland, Michigan is. <laughs> <laughs> well, you put it on the map, Coach. That's for sure. <laughs> so, so you know, unfortunately, this past Thursday, less than three months since he actually witnessed his beloved Dodgers clinch the team's first World Series title since he was their manager in 1988. Hall of Famer, one of the game's greatest ambassadors for the sport he loved during his 71 years with the Dodgers, Tom Lasorda passed away at the age of 93. You were lucky enough to know Tom, work with him, and even win an Olympic gold medal with him. Do you recall the very first time you met Tom and what your first impression was? Well, I think... First, first of all, you get you're always impressed with him, you know, because of his enthusiasm, and and he always seems to, he knows everyone. Uh, he knows he remembers their names. He talks to you. He knows uh, who you are. But I, I think I go back to when I when I went to the Dodgers in in uh, 1966. I was traded over there from from the uh, from the Tigers. It was kind of a uh, a different spring, in that I I went over to the to the Dodgers in Vero Beach there and. And uh, it was the year that uh, Koufax and Drysdale held out all spring and trying to get make a hundred thousand dollars each, and uh, O'Malley wouldn't give it to them, so they they never came to spring training. And so I, I think that's probably the first spring that I I really got to know Tommy and 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 uh, you know and it, just an amazing person, just charismatic. I mean, talking all the time and telling you stories, and it never seemed to be the same story. Always had <laughs> had something different. Uh, you know, the, I I think of uh, the Olympics. You know, I, I knew him before because I, I I'd managed uh, Albuquerque. I'd been as advanced scout. Uh, you know, with with the Dodgers for about eight nine years. So I would go in and give the reports and everything. And 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 he was sharp. He he would say to me, uh, I can remember a time one time he challenged me. I, I said, Darren Dalton is uh, is a high ball hitter, and he said, since when? He's always been a low ball hitter, and and this bothered me. And so I, I talked to Claude Osteen the next spring, and he said, you know, it's funny you say that because he was a low ball hitter, but he hurt his knee and he became a high ball hitter. I said, boy, Claude, you made me feel a lot better because Tommy Tommy don't believe it. <laughs> so, but he 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 was tremendous. Uh, you know, I I think of him. You know, we went to to the Olympics down in in Australia, and uh, we 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 really weren't. Uh, supposed to win anything and uh you know he would he would say what you believe you can achieve you know mm-hmm. and he, he'd talk about guys pulling on a rope if we got 
26 guys pulling one way and one guy pulling another way. We're not going to win. He always, he always had something that motivated everybody and, and, and kept them going. Uh, he built Ben Sheets up so big, you know, Ben, Ben Sheets thought he was Sandy Koufax and he, and he pitched that shutout against Cuba four to nothing in the, in the gold medal game. And Tommy promised him, if you, if you win this game, I'm going to your wedding. And, and he did that, that, that next fall, he, he went to his wedding. So he, he was just a tremendous person. And, uh, yeah, you could, great storyteller. You could, you could sit and talk with him, uh, forever. Uh, the last, I guess one of the last times I saw him, uh, was a couple of years ago. We, we were in the Dominican. Uh, they had a, each year they have down there, a, a hall of fame presentation from all of the teams in the Caribbean, like Panama and, and uh, Mexico and all, all, all the, all over. And, uh, Tommy, uh, and I received an award and, and, uh, I, I think, and just, he was the same. He, he made you laugh just by sitting there looking at him. He'd always come up with something that would make you laugh. And, and, uh, he, he just, to me, he was just a tremendous person, tremendous manager. It's so interesting. You tell those stories because, you know, and unfortunately over the course of 15 to 20 years doing this, when these type of personalities like Don Zimmer and, and you know, various others pass away, you hear these stories and it, they're just so real. Even like Gary Carter, because then, you know, people say, oh, was he really like that? But then when you speak to the people that really know him, yeah, he really was like that. And you know, Lasorda could walk in a room and, and light it up. You mentioned right. in 87, you began basically the, the six-year stint with the Dodgers as their major league uh, special assignment advanced scout. Tom was the manager of the Dodgers at that time, a period that included the 1988 World Championship. Um, right. You mentioned your working relationship, but you know, as a manager and overseeing a lot of the things, what were some of the things that he grew to expect from you and, and demand of you? Well, a, a lot of the things he did was, was you had to work. I, I remember being on the road with him and, and he was out throwing batting practice, you know, all the time, you know, and bring guys out early, make them work. Uh, he's a legend down in, in the Latin countries that he used to, in Caracas, he used to walk from the, one of the hotels all the way down and with Bill Russell every morning. And he made him from a center fielder into a shortstop. You know, he, he just worked and believed in, in working all, all the time. Uh, he, 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 I have to laugh. I, I, I think of things as I, as I go along, but he was, he was on his way. He was in Puerto Rico and, uh, he, he was going to the Dominican. The president was going to give him an, an award and, uh, he didn't have his passport with him because oh. he didn't think he had to go <laughs> to Puerto Rico and they wouldn't let him on the plane. They said, where's your passport? And he pointed to his face and said, this is my passport. <laughs> oh, that, they let him on the plane and he went to Dominican. They let him in. Wow. That's, that was Tommy Lasorda. Yeah. You know, he's, a, he's just an amazing guy. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's interesting too, because, and, and I might have some of these facts wrong because I am getting up in age. Um, but for some of our younger viewers that might not be aware of this, back in 1992, Tommy had one year remaining on his contract. The team went from winning over 90 games in 91 to losing 99 games, finishing last for the first time in 87 years. That coupled with the fact that two Philadelphia area businessmen headed a group of six investors who had actually made a deal with the Giants owner, Robert Luria, in, in August of 92 to buy the team for $115 million, moved them to St. Petersburg. Uh, which eventually fell apart. One of those two men, interestingly enough, was Vince Piazza, a lifelong friend of Tom and Mike Piazza's dad. 
That's right. So the thought at the time was that type Tom might leave the Dodgers for the Giants at around the same time you were up for the, the Marlins inaugural managerial job, late in 92, but you withdrew your name from consideration. What are your recollections of that period? <laughs> that doesn't interesting. You did your homework. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, one, of, one of my goals was, uh, you know, uh, as I was working, be, being an advanced scout, I always went down to uh, kind of interesting thing, you know, um, how, how I got down to, to winter ball. Uh, the first, the, well, one of the first years I went, to, uh, Cookie Rojas invited me down to be his, to be his pitching coach. And then he said, the next year you ought to manage. And I said, well, I would like to. And he, so he went to the owner and, and I became, you know, became a manager. And, uh, so then, uh, I, I set out the next year and then I went to Escojito and managed there a couple of years and then <laughs> went on to, uh, to, to Venezuela and manage there for quite a while. But one, one of the things I had, uh, you know, I had never managed in the United States, but Cookie Rojas was then one of the top guys with, with the Miami, Miami teams. And he's, he had called me and said, Phil, you're, you're going to, you're going to be one of these top candidates on, on this, for the managing this team. So, and I talked to, to Fred Clare and, and uh, you know, Fred and I were, were very close. And, and one of the things Fred said to me, he said, you know, Phil, uh, Tommy is not going to manage the Dodgers forever, <laughs> which he had been there a long time anyway, but he said, and so I turned that interview down right. and, and Dave Dombrowski called me from the Marlins. He was president. He said, Phil, I hope that Fred Clare has offered you something pretty <laughs> good because you've turned down the job with the Marlins and Renee Latchman got the job there, uh, you know, and signed a three-year contract. But, but, uh, that, that was, you know, that was maybe a mistake uh, I made, but you know what? Uh, my goal at that time was, was to manage the Dodgers. Uh, I, I love the Dodgers. And, uh, and, uh, later on after I was w managing Baltimore, uh, uh, I then went, got fired after one year and then went to the, the Dodgers. Uh, and, and this was, a, this, I'm telling you some stories because I don't know, think a lot of people know these, these things, but, uh, Mel Didier was the one of the top scouts for the Dodgers at that time. I had an offer to go with Buddy Bell to Detroit as their pitching coach. Mel Didier called me that this would be in 1996, and he said, "Phil, uh, we Fred Clare can't call you and tell you this, but I'm going to tell you what Fred told me is that Rick Dempsey, who was managing Albuquerque at the time, is not going to manage the Dodgers, and we want you to go to Albuquerque." And I'm thinking, well. That means maybe one day I'm going to manage the Dodgers. Right. So I turned down again. I turned <laughs> down the Detroit job to go with the Dodgers, and I and I went to Albuquerque that year. Well, as things would would have it, that was Tommy's last year, and that he, uh, you know, midway through the year he had kind of a heart attack or something, and he was out for six weeks. Bill Russell took over, and uh, he managed well. And then Tommy came back and said, you know, I'm I'm not coming back anymore. And so they named Bill Russell the interim manager, and I think they won it that year. They won the division. Nice. And and Fred said, you know, we we're going to have to we we're going to resign uh, Bill Russell, you know, again to manage because he won, which I understand. And and I said, well, I you know, I really turned down two major league jobs, <laughs> and I don't want to do another one. So 
then the Cubs came to me and I became the pitching coach there for two years. And then, then, uh, then of course with Cleveland another year. So all those times I wanted to manage the Dodgers, I was close a couple of times, but never, never got there. But, uh, you know, it, it, it was, it was been some great experiences. Yeah, they all connected right around Tommy, you know, right. all, all around Tommy. But it's also interesting, too, because if you look in, in, in hindsight, actually, you know, yes, Billy did get to manage, and that, that was one of your dreams to manage the Dodgers. But then there was the whole, you know, um, sale of the Dodgers and, and the cleaning house. Even though Bill succeeded there, he was swept out, you know, right away. Um, right. Four years later, though, after that, you're back as part of Tom's staff as the pitching coach for the 2000 Olympic team. What do you think, uh, for both of you actually, what did winning a gold medal mean to you? And of course, what did it mean to Tommy? Well, I want to, I want to go back a little bit and tell you, you know, when I, when I managed Albuquerque and, and, uh, was the manager there and this is, and this was Tommy's, this is what, this is the way Tommy did things when he, when he was managing the triple a coach, never manager, never really went over to the, to the major league stadium. When I managed Albuquerque, I was in Vero Beach, you know, in, in the minor league system where, and they trained right there, but I was never over to, to the, uh, to the major league side. And I was telling Terry Collins that one day and he says, don't feel bad. I was there eight years and I never got there either. <laughs> yeah, Terry told me that too. <laughs> That's hysterical. Unbelievable. Uh. So, but anyway, uh, you know, t- to get there and, uh, you know, and, and to be with Tommy and, and, uh, what it, what it meant, you know, you don't really realize until you get there and start playing and go to all the other events that are happening in the Olympics, what it really means. And then when you, when you win it to see the gold medal presentation and guys crying, I saw Doug Mankiewicz crying. All the, a lot of these pitchers were just, and players were crying. And, uh, and, and Tommy said it best. I think he said, you know, when you win a pennant or a world series, you win it for your city. But when you win a gold medal, you win it for the country, you know, and, and for our for our country. And I think that pretty pretty much said it. It, it was one of the greatest experiences I think I, I've ever ever had in my life uh, is is going is going to the Olympics and winning it and being with Tommy Lasorda. He was he was tremendous. So as long as we have you on with us tonight, let's talk a little Mets baseball. I know you have been a big Stephen Matz supporter. Uh, Stephen is coming off his worst season of his career, one in which he uh, was put into the bullpen, struggled early, starts to find his rhythm, uh, pitched to a 9.68 ERA, which is unfathomable for such a talent. Um, you know, you have put some work already in this offseason with Stephen. What can Met fans expect from him this spring training and hopefully this season? Well, I, I personally think, you know, he is a favorite of mine. You know, I had him down here in, in, uh, in St. Lucie when as a pitching coach here. And I've, I've really been with him through, through his time here, here with the Mets. And, uh, he's, he's one of the greatest, the greatest kids you'll ever, or men now that you, you'll ever see, uh, and, and what, and what he does and the way he goes about his business. So you want him to succeed. I mean, if, if you could see, if you could be out at, at City Fields at one, two o'clock in the afternoon and see him and Jake DeGrom and, and the two bullpen coaches uh, taking ground balls and hitting fly balls and pop ups and just doing their feeling in the out and having fun. But they're out there playing the game because because they love the game. And and you, you got to give a lot of credit. Both of those guys are tremendous feelers and. And they do that every day. They're there every day doing that. But Stephen Matz, let me let me just get back to him. Uh, you know, two years ago he won eleven games. 
Yeah. Uh, he won as many games as DeGrom, as Syndergaard, as Wheeler, you know, did uh, uh, two years ago. Uh, I think this past year, you, you almost can write off a lot of records uh, of the players uh, because of the spring training that we had. We, we started off, you know, in spring training, then it stopped and then they started again. So it it, it kind of you kind of write it off a little bit. I, I think one of the things that, you know, I talked to Steve a lot about, you know, and and I watched all the games on television. That was my job this year, watching television, <laughs> watching the games, <laughs> which I had to report on which I said somebody had to do it. So it might as well be me. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, I, I watched Steven and I saw that he was, he was throwing the ball hard, harder than I think I'd ever seen him throw it before. You know, 90, he was reaching 96, 97 miles an hour. Uh, but he was falling off a little bit toward third base. He was leaving the ball up. His curveball was flat. And, uh, and that's a lot of the things that we had worked on here in the minor leagues. Uh, also, uh, you know, Steve is, uh, he's, he's very critical of himself. I, I think people think it's, uh, he gets mad, but it's just that he's, he expects himself to be well and he gets critical. You kind of see that sometimes on the mound, he critical of himself. But so one of the things we, we did when he came down here for a week was, uh, one of the drills I used to, used to do with him all the time was, uh, <laughs> I said, I still tell him, I said, you remember the time when I came there? And we were in Philadelphia and we threw in the outfield and you warm up. And I said, you, you're not getting your extension. You're not getting over the ball and reaching out and going. He said, yeah. I said, remember what I told you? I said, if I can set, when you finish your extension, if I can set my hat on your back and it doesn't fall off, that's pretty good extension. So he started doing it. I set my hat on his back and it didn't fall off. I said, now there, now we're, now we're going from there. So that's one of the big things we started working on throwing up the back of the mound. So he'd have to get his foot down and get out over the ball. Uh, he, he did really well. His, his ball, the ball started coming down for him. He wasn't falling off to the side. His curveball got much sharper. His changeup was unbelievable. And, and then when he left there, you know, after a week, <clears throat> He was in such a positive mood, uh, such a great, great spirit. He said, Phil, I'm going home. I'm going to build me a mound, a wooden mound indoors, and I'm going to work on all these things all winter long. And uh, I, I do believe he has. I, I talked to him oh, a couple of days ago, uh, trying to find him a house down here for the for the spring down here in Port St. Lucie. <clears throat> and he told me he's been throwing this week. He's starting with uh, uh, our new catcher. Uh, Brad Brock is there. They're going to, they're going to be throwing and, uh, he's, he's working on all the things we talked about. So I think the people can expect to see a different Steve. I, I think he learned a lesson, even though you throw 97 miles an hour, you can't throw the ball by people uh, in the major leagues because <laughs> after about three pitches, if you're throwing a hundred miles an hour, they, you, you can turn a pitching machine up to a hundred <laughs> and after three, after three pitches, they've dialed it in. Yep. They can, they can get that bat speed going. So it's a matter of pitching, changing speeds, hitting spots and, uh, and not just throwing the ball. And I, I think you're going to see a different Steve Matz. Awesome. Uh, Met fans are, are praying for that. Lastly, we got about a minute before we have to go to break. It's pretty okay. amazing the things you have witnessed in, in uniform. Obviously, seeing Koufax and Drysdale in their prom in their prime. Sixty nine, you're on the Cubs when the black cat runs on the field at Che. Uh, you actually saw Roger Clemens strike out twenty um, against you. You um, actually saw Kerry Wood strike out twenty for you. You're the Orioles manager in '95. The magical year Cal Ripken breaks Lou Gehrig's record. 
you're there the day Mark McGuire breaks Roger, Roger Maris' single-season home run record, which is interesting to me because when the M&M boys were going at it um, June 16, 1961, uh, the two of those guys went 0 for 8 against you. You struck out Maris two <laughs> times. So of all those things, which was one of the, the moments that stands out for you being live at, at a stadium and seeing in uniform? Well, I, I think I, they were all great, really. Uh, you know, the Kerry Wood striking out 20 was really, really inter- interesting story there. He, he threw 128 pitches. And I said to Jim Riggleman, wow. who was the manager, he's, he's got 128 pitches. What He said 130 is his limit. I, I said, even if he don't strike, what if he's trying get? He says he's coming out, but he struck out the last guy, so he, he ended up with, with the record. Uh, but I, I just say of all those things – and and incidentally, there was another one. Uh, Wade Boggs got his 3,000 hit down in oh. Florida off one of my pitchers. <laughs> hit a home run for his 3,000 hit. Wow. But but I think you know uh, Cal Ripken breaking that record uh, because I guess maybe because I was, was with him all year, and and you felt the buildup coming up and going on. And if, even even to go back to that year in spring training, I know you only got a minute, but. Uh, to go back that, you know, our team, Baltimore, our owner did not believe in replacement players. Everyone else was playing. We did not have a team. And come Sunday night, Roland Heeman told all of our staff, you can go home. I'll tell you in 10 days what, what we want to do. We were going to forfeit 144 games. We were not going to play. The season was going to start on Tuesday. So being with all that and, and how it led up to it and then Cal breaking the record and how it, each night as the last week, they have this big warehouse out in, in right, right field and, the and they had these off. signs yeah. and the banners would come off yeah. and you'd kind of wait till the fifth inning. And, and really no one thought a, a lot about it. I think until the last week it got so close, the players started standing on the top step every game and anticipating it. And, I, and I'll tell you, it was so emotional that there were, there were a lot of tears. And I can say I had tears in my eyes when, when he broke that record. It was tremendous. Yeah, it was a magical year for sure. I remember mm-hmm. watching that. Phil, thanks so much for your time tonight. I know I speak for the 100-plus Met Fantasy Campers who will be missing you this year and can't wait to when things get back to normal and we can hang out with you and hear more great stories. So uh, thanks so much for spending the time helping us remember Tommy as well as you know telling some great stories. Okay, thank you, Mark, and uh, good being with you. I look forward to seeing you. You got it. The one and only right, Vulture, Phil Regan. We'll- 